Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and as usual with this book, trigger warning! There are words and languages and descriptions of characters that are absolutely abhorrent. Um, and know that I would never use these words in my everyday life, but I'm bringing you the book in the most uncensored way possible that I can on YouTube. Um, for any offensive specific slurs or anything like that, I'll just be ducking the audio to bleep it, which allows me to just keep this monetized on the channel. But apart from that, the book is staying exactly the same as it was written. If you find this sort of language difficult, then maybe listen to another book. Um, yeah. Let's get started. Next day, towards night, we laid up under a little willow towhead out in the middle, where there was a village on each side of the river and the duke and the king began to lay out a plan for work in them towns. Jim, he spoke to the duke, and said he hoped it wouldn't take but a few hours, because it got mighty heavy and tiresome to him when he had to lay all day in the wigwam, tied with rope. You see, when we left him alone, we had to tie him, because if anybody happened on him all by himself and not tied, it would look very much like he was a runaway n***, you know? So the duke said it was kind of hard to have to lay roped all day, and he'd suffer out some way to get around it. He was uncommon bright, the duke was, and he soon struck it. He dressed Jim up in King Lear's outfit. It was a long, curtain calico gown and a white horsehair wig and whiskers. And then he took his theater paint and painted Jim's face and hands and ears and neck all over a dead, dull, solid blue, like a man that's been drowned nine days. Blamed if he weren't the horriblest-looking outrage I ever see. Then the duke took and wrote out a sign on a shingle, so... Sick Arab, but harmless when not out of his head. And he nailed that shingle to a lath, and stood that lath up four or five foot in front of the wigwam. Jim was satisfied. He said it was a sight better than laying tight a couple of years every day, and trembling all over every time there was a sound. The duke told him to make himself free and easy, and if anybody ever come meddling around, he must hop out of the wigwam and carry on a little, and fetch a howl or two like a wild beast, and he reckoned they would light out and leave him alone which was sound enough judgment, but you take the average man, he wouldn't wait for him to howl. Why, he didn't only look like he was dead. He looked considerable more than that. These rapscallions wanted to try the non-such again, because there was so much money in it, but they judged it wouldn't be safe, because maybe the news might have worked along down by this time. They couldn't hit no project that suited, exactly. So at last, the Duke said he'd reckon he'd lay off and work his brains an hour or two to see if he couldn't put something in the Arkansas village and the king, he allowed he would drop over to t'other village without any plan, just trust in providence to lead him to the profitable way. Meaning the devil, I reckon. We had all bought store clothes where we stopped last, and now the king put his on, and he told me to put mine on. I done it, of course. The king's duds was all black, and it did look real swell and starchy. I never knowed how clothes could change a body before. Why, before he looked like the orneriest old rip that ever was. But now when he'd take off his new white beaver and make a bow and do a smile, he looked that grand and good and pious that you'd say he'd walked right out of the ark. And maybe it was old Leviticus himself. Jim cleaned up the canoe, and I got my paddle ready. There was a big steamboat lying at the shore, away up under that point, about three miles above the town. Been there a couple hours, taking on freight. Says the king, Seeing how I'm dressed, 
I reckon I better arrive from down St. Louis or Cincinnati or some other big place. Go for the steamboat, Huckleberry. We'll come down to the village on her. I didn't have to be ordered twice to go and take a steamboat ride. I fetched the shore half a mile above the village and went shooting along the bluff bank in easy water. Pretty soon we come to a nice, innocent-looking young country Jake sitting on a log, swabbing the sweat off his face, for it was powerful warm weather, and he had a couple of big carpet bags by him. Run her nose in shore, says the king. I done it. Where you bound for, young man? For the steamboat. Gone Orleans. Get aboard, says the king. Hold on a minute. My servant help you with the bags. Jump out and help a gentleman, Dolphus. Meaning me, I see. I done so, and then we all three started on again. The young chap was mighty thankful. Said it was tough work toting his bags such weather. He asked the king where he was going, and the king told him he'd come down the river and landed at the other village this morning, and now he was going up a few miles to see an old friend on a farm up there. The young fella says, When I first see you, I says to myself, It's Mr. Wilkes, sure. And he come mighty near getting here in time. Then I says again, No, I reckon I ain't him, or else he wouldn't be paddling up the river. You ain't him, are you? No, my name's Blodgett. Alexander Blodgett. Reverend Alexander Blodgett, I suppose I must say, as I'm one of the Lord's poor servants. But still, I'm just as able to be sorry for Mr. Wilkes for not arriving in time all the same, if you missed anything by it, which I hope he hasn't. Well, he don't miss any property by it, because he get that all right, but he missed seeing his brother Pete die, which you mayn't mind, nobody can tell us to that, but his brother would give anything in this world to see him before he died. Never talked about nothing else all these three weeks. Hadn't seen him since we were boys together, and had never seen his brother William at all. That's the deaf and dumb one. William ain't more than 30, 35. Peter and George was the only ones that come out here. George was the married brother. Him and his wife both died last year. Harvey and William, the only ones left now, and, as I was saying, they haven't got here in time. Did anybody send him word? Oh, yes, a month or two ago, when Peter was first took, because Peter said that he sort of felt like he weren't going to get well this time. You see, he was pretty old, and George's girls were too young to be much company for him, except Mary Jane, the redhead one, and so kind of lonesome after George and his wife died, and didn't seem to care much to live. He most desperately wanted to see Harvey, and William too, for that matter, because he was one of them kind that can't bear to make a will. He left a letter behind for Harvey, said he told in it where his money was hid, and how he wanted the rest of the property divided up so George's girls would be all right, for George didn't leave nothing and that letter was all they could get him to put a pen to. Why do you reckon Harvey don't come? Where does he live? Oh, he lives in England. Sheffield, preaches there. Hasn't never been in this country. He hasn't had any too much time. Besides, he might have got a letter at all, you know. Too bad. Too bad he couldn't have lived to see his brothers. Poor soul. You going to Orleans, you say? Yes, but that ain't only a part of it. I'm going in a ship next Wednesday for Rio de Janeiro, where my uncle lives. That's a pretty long journey, but it'll be lovely. Wished I was gone. Is Mary Jane the eldest? How old is others? Mary Jane's 19, Susan's 15, and Joanna's about 14. That's the one that gives herself good works and has a hair lip. Poor things. 
to be left alone in the cold world, so... Well, they could be worse off. No, Peter has friends, and they ain't gonna let him come to no harm. There's Hobson, the Baptist preacher, and Deacon Lothovey, and Ben Rucker, and, and Abner Shackelford, and Levi Bell, the lawyer, and Dr. Robinson, and their wives, and the widows Bartley, and, well, there's a lot of them, but those are the ones that Peter was thickest with and used to write about sometimes when he wrote home. So Harvey will know where to look for his friends when he gets here. Well, the old man, he went on asking questions till he just fairly emptied that young fella. Blame if he didn't inquire about everybody and everything in that blessed town. And, and all about the Wilkeses and about Peter's business, which was a tanner, and about George's, which was a carpenter, and about Harvey's, which was a disentering minister, and so on and so on. Then he says, What'd you want to walk all the way up to the steamboat for? Because she's a big Arlene's boat. I was afraid she mightn't stop there. When they're in deep, they won't stop for a hail. A Cincinnati boat will, but this is a St. Louis one. Was Peter Wilkes well off? Oh, yes, pretty well off. He had houses and land, and I reckon he left three or four thousand in cash hit up summers. When did you say he died? I didn't, but it was last night. Funeral tomorrow, likely. Yep, about middle of the day. Well, it's terrible sad, but we've all got to go one time or another. So what we want to do is to be prepared, and then we're all right. Yes, sir. It's the best way. Ma always used to say that. When we struck the boat, she was about done loading, and pretty soon she got off. The king never said nothing about going aboard, so I lost my right after all. When the boat was gone, the king made me paddle up another mile to a lonesome place, and then he got ashore and says, Now hustle back right off and fetch Duke up here and the new carpet bags. And if he's gone over to the other side, go over there and get him. Tell him to get himself up regardless. Shove along now. I see what he was up to, but I never said nothing, of course. When I got back with the duke, we hid the canoe, and then sat down on a log. And the king told him everything just like the young fella had said it. And all the time he was doing it, he tried to talk like an Englishman. And he'd done it pretty well, too, for a slouch. I can't imitate him, so I ain't gonna try to, but he really done it pretty good. Then he says... How are you on the deaf and dumb, Bilgewater? The Duke said leave him alone for that. Said he had played a deaf and dumb person on the histronic board. So then they waited for a steamboat. About the middle of the afternoon, a couple of little boats come along. But they didn't come from high enough up the river. But at last, there was a big one. And they held her. She sent out her yawl, and we went aboard. And she was from Cincinnati. And when they found out we only wanted to go four or five miles, they was booming mad and give us a cussin', and said they wouldn't land us. But the king was calm. He says, If gentlemen can afford to pay a dollar a mile apiece to be took on board and put off in y'all, a steamboat can't afford to carry them, can it? So they softened down and said it was all right. And when we got to the village, they yelled us ashore. About two dozen men flocked down when they saw a y'all coming. And when the king says, Can any of you gentlemen tell me where... Mr. Peter Wilkes lives. They give a glance at one another and nod their heads as much to say, What do I tell you? Then one of them says, kind of soft and gentle, I'm sorry, sir, but the best we can do is tell you where he did live yesterday evening. Sudden as winking, the ornery old crater went all to smash and fell up against the man and put his chin on his shoulder and cried down his back and says, Alas! Alas, our poor brother, 
gone. And we never got to see him. Oh, it's too hard. Oh, it's too, too hard. And then he turned around, blubbering and making a lot of idiotic signs to the duke on his hands, and blamed if he didn't drop the carpet bag and burst out a crying. If they weren't the beatenest lot than two frauds that I ever struck. Well, the men gathered round and sympathized with them, said all sorts of kind things to him, and carried their carpet bags up the hill for him, and let him lean on him and cry, and told the king all about his brother's last memories. And the king, he told it all over again on his hands to the duke. And both of them took on about that dead tanner like they'd lost the twelve disciples. Well, if ever I struck anything like it, I'm a It was enough to make a body ashamed of the human race. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. Oh, I'm just so worried about what's going to happen to Huck and Jim. These two con men are going to be the death of them or something terrible is going to happen because of these con men and I'm not looking forward to it. If you want to know what happens, though, please continue listening. Um, Another chapter shall be out in a couple of days. Once again, thank you very, very much for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.